0: episode 395 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I chatted David Grund of Wayward Prophet about the action RPG A Story Beside. I say action RPG, it's more of a regaling of a tale about someone who wasn't actually a big adventurer themselves but actually interacted with those who had those big adventures and slew the dragon and did all sorts of weird and wonderful things and what about the people they interact with what about those npcs those innkeepers those store people things storekeepers there you go i'm keeping that in by the way yeah normally i re-record these every time but no i'm keeping that in storekeepers what about their stories do they have any well yes Yes they do, I, I, and this is one of them, hence the name A Story Beside. It's the story that occurs beside the main heroes, and it's just as interesting. It's different, the contents are different, but the struggles in many cases are the same, and that's something that David has explored in great detail and we explore in this episode of The Sausage Factory. So, Without further ado and any more weirdness with language and me stumbling over my words, let's uh, let's press on, shall we? Chris, from the not-so-distant past, take it away. Dave! Hello!
1: Who are you, and what do you do? <laughs> my name is David Grund. I am a game designer and developer, which everyone listening to this probably knows. Um, I've been making games pretty much my whole life, and my uh most recent one is up on steam now i've made two kind of bigger games under the wayward profit banner that's my indie development studio uh that you can go play on steam right now
0: yes you can indeed let's delve a little bit more into the land of dave and how did you make start making flashy lighty video games (laughs) yeah like i said i've been i've been
1: doing this my whole life it was kind of a you know, a lot of people try to find their calling or find their passion. And for me, it was just like a moment of realization that it's been something I've done always without having to think about it. Um, I would always drag my friends in to make, uh, to, to like play test new mechanics and board games and card games that I would make as a kid. Even like sports, I would try to tinker around with new rules and things to um, always be playing with that. And then as soon as I got access to more, you know, technological solutions I um, made web-based games and flash games um, big like online role-playing communities and like uh, that sort of thing and then I ended up going to school for interactive media design and over the last 10 years I've done a number of kind of smaller projects I've made interactive exhibits for science centers and nature centers in my area um Kind of working with different types of technology there, and then, yeah, the two two big games um, on Steam. So, yeah, again, something I've kind of been doing without thinking as long as I can remember.
0: Wow, the educational stuff sounds fascinating because everyone just points to Oregon's Trail and like, yeah, that that was the one of the earliest versions of like Strange Management game of uh, of something that was. Somewhat dark, if I may say, uh, of, uh, yeah. of of uh, and, uh, the the, the uh, expansion west, which has a whole, you know, baggage, so we say <laughs> uh, to it. But uh, that aside, well, I can't do that. That's wrong. But as well as that, that there's that first sort of sense of. Like, it all runs from there. I mean, in the UK, we had Witch's Garden, which is a similar kind of thing. But, you know, basically using computers as an interactive tool to encourage learning and development. Learn by doing. uh, And also, not necessarily, it's a big thing I have, is like, oh, everyone learns from their mistakes. Yes, they do. But they also learn from their successes. It's Uh, true. So really, I like to say people learn from their outcomes. From the outcomes of the things they do
1: i like that yeah yeah that was a big part of of what i did was just um try to make i mean and that's what's great about games is like it's a safe place to be able to experiment and to be able to mm. to fail and try and um explore things that you might not be comfortable exploring in in the real world um so yeah i made a lot of these interactive exhibits for like hands-on like museums and stuff so mm. Traditionally, those aren't the kinds of places you know where tons of four-year-olds are running around trying to like put their fingers all over everything. Like traditionally, those aren't the kinds of places that you envision when you think like high-tech, <laughs> like screens, like big, you know, technology kind of stuff. So um, it was a it was an interesting challenge to try and introduce game mechanics and and concepts, you know, to encourage learning in a very dynamic and you know bustling kind of environment.
0: Yeah, when I was very, very, very young and there was a time that existed. And yes, <laughs> I did have shoes before we go there, just come on. Um, there's the there's the British Science Museum, uh, which did have that kind of interactive elements. But it was, wasn't digital, it was all analogue and it was just teaching concepts of physics typically, uh mechanical physics or fluid mechanics and that kind of stuff. And I do remember having a great time just sort of, like, trying to figure out all these things and what it was trying to achieve. And it's definitely an embryonic concept of you interacting with a thing and then learning from that interaction. Uh, and, uh, uh, it's, it's, you yeah, know, you definitely... It's a really important part of video game because when we're... It's, it's, it's a really hot topic at the moment. The learning of players. Um, and you know, where it's gone and how it's evolved, or many would argue devolved. <laughs> um, right. Uh, and uh, people are going, hang on, could we not... I do have more than double digits IQ, just saying. <laughs> could, we, could we just... And it's something that comes up a lot on this show, where they talk about treating the player with respect. It happens a lot, and a lot of the games we have on this show generally are of that ilk. They generally think of... They assume a lot on the player... And that's fine. That's yeah, fine.
1: absolutely. Those are typically as a player, those are my favorite kinds of games because it allows space for you to kind of like reach in there, like dig into the cracks and yeah, gives you space to kind of breathe and figure stuff out, decide stuff out um all on your own.
0: And the tools you've been using over the years, it sounds like you haven't delved into the realm of, you know, raw coding down to the wire and, or, the, or to the metal, as they call it. Um, but you've certainly used various sort of high-level tools. Is that something that you've maintained through your career? Have you dabbled into the low-level stuff of C++ and stuff? But from what you're saying, that's not the case.
1: And he- yeah, I've got a, b- a bit of a programming background, but I've got a bit of a background in almost every piece, like every part of, of game development. And that was important to me to, to um you know as as you follow the industry and you follow the trends of technology things are just constantly changing so what i found to be more important than you know one particular skill being really good at one particular thing is being able to be flexible and being able to like pick up new languages or new tools or new softwares like um on the fly as much as possible.
0: Hmm. Yeah it's just wonderful that it exists um and uh, yeah it's definitely the bear of is dropping more and more in fact there's another podcast I'm regularly listening to listen to called the Backpage, um, which has two British journalists talking about, as they used to work in video and um, magazines, that one of it still exists, which is the edge, but that's going to probably list this forever. And um, they um, talk about uh, how um, over the years the barriers has been dropped, one of them, the tools that people are using. they're using dreams. people are using dreams on the PlayStation yeah. 4 and 5 to create prototypes of concepts and then they eventually evolve into something else. But it's a wonderful idea because it's designed for you to do that yeah. and there's no like real like hard coding it's, there's, no, you, there's no keyboard, it's just you and a, a pair of motion controllers <laughs> Just painting the, the world and hitting things and making it interact with each other and creating the Boolean logic that programmers are used to without actually forcing you to do those if and or else statements
1: yeah those, it's it's know. something that it took me a little bit of time to to realize you know games when i was a kid were this kind of magical distant thing <laughs> and i had no ideas of the like tools that and or the people behind them like the skills that you would need to actually make something that i was playing on my you know nes or whatever so um It was something that I kind of slowly realized over time was uh, the logic behind it. Like any way you can kind of learn that programmer's logic, like Mm. whatever tool you're using to learn that logic, that's far more important than the specifics of the, you know, like the smartest programmers I've ever known will just go to Google and look up the exact syntax for something because, you know, even they can't remember exactly how to type something out. So That semicolon
0: can destroy... Weeks of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's that doing yeah. there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just putting a marker there for later. No, don't do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> Never a good idea. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. But how many times you go, I'm not going to fix that now. I'll just put a remark in. I'll come back. You don't.
1: Yep. You don't. You don't. Include particular words in my <laughs> comments so that I can search for them later. Yeah. And then when it's time to search for them, I'm okay. like, what, no. was what was I
0: thinking? don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> if you've a problem, fix it then. Don't procrastinate. So, next question. Um, and I think you answered it in the virtual green room before we start recording, but uh, what are your biggest influences as a creator, Dave?
1: Yeah. Um, I To keep it in the, the world of games, I think um, I've been inspired by a lot of... Uh, a lot of Nintendo games over the years, but the the kind of biggest single designer that I've taken inspiration from has to be Fumito Ueda. So, Eco mm-hmm. um, was transformative. Shadow of the Colossus even more so, and The Last Guardian was absolute genius as well. Um, I'm I'm yet another in the long list of indie developers that have been inspired by Eco and his uh, design by subtraction philosophy, which I think people would be able to see in a story beside is you know the idea of if something is not absolutely necessary if something doesn't kind of boost your the core mechanic or the core theme of your game then consider leaving it out <laughs> like yeah, consider, why is it there
0: why is it right there? less is more which is a phrase no one really understands yeah. similar to less haste more speed what yeah what yeah it's i it's mean in, until it's, you actually in amongst it and understand what really that means that doesn't right. really make a lot of sense but you're right, right. Um, yeah. and it's in
1: it's in start. His his games were in stark contrast of what I saw. Like the general trend of the industry was just pack more and more content into your games. Right, everything needs to be like bigger. It's like the biggest open world we've ever created. The most collectibles that you could possibly find and then you know on the other side is like shadow of the colossus where there's just nothing in that entire world except for the one thing you're supposed to be doing so yeah i took i've taken a lot of inspiration from that and have really tried even though i create very different types of games from that i've really tried to kind of keep that philosophy in mind and not uh bloat my games with things that don't need to be there
0: it's definitely evident in a story beside because there's something you're trying to tell us here (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not gonna say any more. It's my own interpretation, Dave. You may disagree, and there's been situations like a very recent episode where I gave an interpretation of what I thought the game was to me, and the developer went, Huh. I didn't see it that way. <laughs> but I do see why you see it that way. It's lovely. Go, yeah. Yeah. Actually it's probably more informative to talk of it like that like that. So um anyway, I think yeah, it's it's there's something to be lauded, and again, it's it, the Shadow of the Colossus as a game is often referenced in this show, rightly so. Uh, I've said it before, sorry everyone, but this is a game. It's been ported to three platforms, <laughs> three <laughs> generations of the same you know platform. That's got to say something. And I still have my collector's edition because, of course, I do, Dave. Of course, <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's one of the few box games I still have on my PS two. Most of them were, were put into wallets to save space, you know. It's just, but there's a few that I've kept and no I can't. There's also a rack yeah. of PS one games that similarly I've took a photo of one and said, Chris you could you could put a loan out on based on that collateral <laughs> on those games. <laughs> I mean it's like, you know, Symphony of the Night and stuff like that. And yeah, ribbon and stuff like this and go, Yeah, I really could <laughs> mortgage based on that just 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 this rack even yeah even kingsfield is on there like jesus just go ahead and keep that in your back pocket in case of emergency (laughs) someday you know but i you know it's this it's really important that these going back to the point about the and i still remember playing it for the first time and just i actually remember putting the controller down because i couldn't believe the horse animation yeah (laughs) i still can't it's still incredible to me how how did they that's just animated but there's like but it feels like a genuine horse rather so than a, a box that's got four legs. It's actually, yeah. No, I, it's actually, yeah.
1: I do wonder if people are going to, like younger players are going to play the, you know, the newer remake on the PS4. Um, yeah. And then not realize just how similar it is to the original, like just how impressive it is that they yeah. essentially made that same game with, you know, a slightly yeah. lower resolution on the PS2. I know, I know. 17 years ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I still love the fact that I have a PS2 slim and it's a, it's almost the size slightly bigger than a hand. It's all it is. And it's just like, how? <laughs> it's just so much entertainment from one little box yeah. thing. So
1: it was it was the right time for me too. Shadow of the Classes specifically was I was I was kind of struggling because I grew up playing games, loving games, but I also, you know, in that kind of edgy I was like uh in my teens at the time, um, and i was getting more into like art and poetry and trying to be you know more yeah, yeah. like engage with media in a deeper way. And games were kind of going the other direction. Games were focused on you know arcadey kind of Halo type experiences. So then Shadow of the Claws comes out, and I'm like, oh, I can have both. Like yes. I can you know care about art and games. <laughs> like, it was harder in to one find back then. it was. Yeah,
0: which less so now. Less so now. Thank heavens, but. Back then, it was like, you know, there's Maramasa and stuff like that. There's some weird Wii titles that went like, what's yeah. this? You know, and I, I meant I had to bang the drum so often about because the Wii was a mountain of shovelware, but then it had these choice nuggets of just golden stuff, and like, yeah, look at this. Uh, but uh, that's another discussion for another time. We've gone off tangent. <laughs> Although I don't think we did because it triggered, it inspired us to actually talk about, you know, the the influence of, you know, something that's uh, art driven, if you like, Um, beyond simply getting a higher score or getting the best kill death ratio, um, actually guiding uh, a little girl across a prison of her own You know, that kind of thing, or indeed killing monsters for reasons that maybe you shouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not a spoiler. Come on, it's almost twenty years. Come on everyone. Yeah, come Uh, on. You should know that within the
1: first minute of the
0: game too. Within the first minute of the game you realize that wait, hang on, this is a bit sir. Yeah, it is. This demon voice from the ceiling, maybe yeah, I shouldn't like, be listening maybe, to every yeah, this, word this they say. This doesn't really this is not gonna work, it's no, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> next question, and um, I don't I've no idea where you answer this one. Here we go. What developer do you most admire in industry and why?
1: Ooh. yeah, that is. Probably the same answer. Honestly, <laughs> I can kind of switch that around. Uh, Ueda has has had a huge influence on me, but um, right,
0: right. Any any like peers of yours? Not to say Ueda isn't a peer, but uh, any yeah. fellow indie developers, you go, you you're yeah, there. absolutely, you carry on doing what you're doing. So a story besides
1: in particular is very much inspired by To the Moon, which is an early, um, they're both created using the RPG Maker engine. And that was one of the first uh, RPG Maker games that really kind of hit big. Um, And I remember playing To the Moon uh, back when it came out and even the developer's previous game. So his name is Khan Gao. Mm -hmm. um, Freebird Games is the name of the studio. And uh, even before that, he made this very classical style RPG in RPG maker um, called quintessence. And I played that and was just kind of blown away at the quality, like how much time he had clearly spent meticulously creating certain uh, animations and stuff in this tool that I had previously seen as kind of a beginner's tool or like a very simple mm-hmm. tool. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, to the moon was a big influence. I, I still admire the um, way he kind of carries himself also in this in this world of like every developer constantly talking on social media and on Twitter and stuff like he is he's quiet he kind of pops back in when he feels like he needs to and yeah. I just have always been kind of charmed at his uh yeah his his um style of games that he's made um, finding paradise is the sequel to to the moon and then the imposter factory is the like third one in that series that is just now um, just recently come out, so mm. yeah, I've I've taken a lot of inspiration from him, and and would um, kind of liken a story beside to to his games for anyone that is a fan.
0: There's one thing I wanted to point out, and we go back to we sort of spoke about at the beginning of the show: is the the sense that tools like you know RPG Maker and Game Maker and things like this have seen deemed to be. Like, oh, we're just like starter things. They're not real tools. They're not real engines like Unreal 5 and, and, and Unity. They're not real. They're just like something you can cobble together a little bit. And then, I mean, even I do guilty myself and talk about dreams saying, oh, yeah, it's users' prototyping is not actually making full fledged games. That's not true. That is not true. Um, uh, you can make full fledged games of all these things, these tools and the higher level tools that I've just described. Just because they don't have a compiler doesn't make them any less, right? Yeah. However, there is this built in snobbery, maybe, but there's also a sense of I want to do more, I want to have more control and more of, of what I'm doing, and I'm not getting it from this tool. So they go off and learn things, and having to learn. Programming languages and all sorts of things to actually get the most out of these other tools that they deem to be well, that's what everyone uses. Uh, the problem with that is that really you can just focus on the tool that you have and you can do extraordinary things. It's not really it's like blaming the, the brush for your inability to paint, um, exactly. And you can, Would you described, you know, extraordinary games made from, uh, I think, I always cite for Game Maker, I always cite. Uh, um oh, lost it now, but they one a very famous sort of arcade game, um hotline Miami, right, right, which that was done made from that very simple tool yeah it's one of the most celebrated indie games in recent memory um so it, again it's it's yes, there are gonna be times when you want to actually do that, but you have to really ask the question, do you really need to? Or can you do the thing with the you want to do with the tool available to you? You've actually become very familiar with. Thank you very much. And if you just just think broader, and rather than seeing it as a limitation, but actually see it as a uh, an opportunity to see well, how far can I push this thing? Because I suspect what happened with the, the, I know what's happened with certainly with uh, a story beside and uh, and other titles is that layers, everyone. It's about (laughs) developing multi-tiered layers. People don't want to make those. They want to experience them, but they don't want to make them because it's hard. I can certainly vouch for that. (laughs) Yes. And there's there's a reason why, you know, choose your own adventure games and stuff like that. Well, the books were very, very hard to write. Yet they made loads of them, especially fighting fantasy, personal favorite of mine. But um, which I only know and understand in the US that was sort of adopted like now rather than at the time where uh, people go, oh wait, you can roll a dice totally. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> great. It? We're just now coming around. Don't we? I know it's quite amusing. But uh, anyway, so great answers. And let's move on to the last question of the first half. And here it is: What are you playing right now?
1: I knew this question was coming, and cool. honestly, Chris, it's it's embarrassing how few games I've been playing lately. I, um, especially as the weather gets nicer, I just like feel I'm feeling the need to move away from my computer and away from a screen whenever mm. I can. A story beside has been quite draining on multiple levels, so I just um, yeah step away. Like shamefully, I'm only a couple hours into Elden Ring, even though I know I'm going to absolutely love it when I finally dig in. Um, I've always kind of done that, just kind of gone in in cycles, like spurts of playing a ton of really good stuff and then just take a sabbatical for a little while and not play much at all. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So, yeah, most most of what I've been playing lately is is uh, easily like easy kind of lighthearted stuff. Like I play a lot of light co-op games with my wife or, you know, Mm -hmm. we'll play like Mario Golf or I got back into Animal Crossing for a little bit there. Just things that like are using a completely different side of my brain than you know developing
0: yeah so yeah yeah. i've i've parked animal crossing now i think we got to a point where i was just weeding that was it (laughs) yeah and talking to all the people and they just Mm -hmm. kept saying the same thing over and like i think i'm done thanks for see thanks for the therapy i basically said
1: that's where i was too and then they came out with that big like DLC yeah. hack that has a whole yeah. new thing. So I was like, okay, I'll I'll give it another you, shot. But you
0: start decorating other people's houses and stuff. I didn't yeah. really get into that because <laughs> uh, I sort of lost the, that when I, I finished. I mean, I made this extraordinary home, and it's like, I, I can't think I'm done. And I think yeah. for me, it's the beginning of the end when I saw the bunny rabbit during Easter. I went, <laughs> "You're evil, you know it, don't you? Just the, yeah, you bouncing he does. up and down. You're just there's nothing." Particularly charming about you. And, nope. uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, so I decided to call it quits. I think having the, the Steam Deck as well helped with that because, like, you know, having been able to have played all these extraordinary indie games, including Street Beside, um, uh, has been quite liberating. So, yes, I can go outside while still playing the screen. It's great. Best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. All right, okay. Well, that's, uh, that's the end of the first half. Well done. Thank Let's, you. That's all right. Let's move on to the second half where we explore A Story Beside. So, before we do, you ask you the zeroth question, that is, what is A Story Beside?
1: Yeah, uh, the best way I can kind of boil it down, A Story Beside is a fantasy narrative adventure game that stars a ordinary, humble innkeeper named Lyric. Um, so you as a player uh, get to kind of make choices as her, build relationships as her, and live out her life in this little mountain village that sits on the edge of a classic fantasy map that you might find in an old school RPG like Secret of Mana or Chrono Trigger or something. But um, yeah, the difference is Lyric is not the hero. She's not the one that swings the sword and slays the dragon. Um, but I think her story being much more personal, intimate, relatable, kind of wistful and nostalgic, I think her story is still worth telling, even though she isn't you know, the main the main character of most other games, I'll say.
0: Yeah. And that's something I really want to ask about because been a player of these games for, I suspect now, don't want to admit it, actual decades, um, you just, you know, what is, and it's been played with a lot recently, the last 10 years or so. What is the story behind the innkeeper that you encounter in these inns and taverns and... Places. What's the story of the shopkeeper that just stands there, and you sell all your junk to, <laughs> just anything mm-hmm. you find, like a bit of string, <clears throat> and you, you just like sell this stuff. And then they, they then you buy a thing, and you just walk out. And they're, just, they're still standing there, they're just standing there, putting up with your nonsense. Yep. And this <laughs> has been dealt with in, in you know, uh, and there's been. Um, Moonlighter, I think it's a good example of like trying to merge the hero versus. them trying to trying to run a business here. <laughs> Can we stop? Absolutely, to, you know, yeah. It's uh, uh, and it's an extraordinary game which I do have on the Switch. Um, the- yeah, I I think typically RPGs
1: tend to downplay certain tragedies and, and traumas just to kind of keep their own stories moving, right? Like just yeah. to get to that end boss. You have to basically gloss over the fact that this village was burnt to the ground yeah. or you know, this character's parents were were brutally murdered or yeah. like all these horrible tragic backstories that never really get explored. No. Um
0: well it all depends on the, the RPG, let's be fair. Some do. But yeah, the of vast course. majority of them do go, oh yeah this happened. Yeah. You know the consequences so I think I know the answer to this first question but it's core I believe my experience with the story beside is this it focuses on the mundane it focuses on the things that are not as you say you're not getting a great sword of selga that's written <laughs> with runes and you hold it aloft and there's a tune maybe we all know the tune It's got three notes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, uh, it's dangerous to go alone and all that kind of stuff and that stuff. No, no, it's on the mundane. And I have to ask, and I think I know the answer, but I want to delve into it. Why? (laughs) Because this could have gone like, you know, paint dry. It doesn't. But, you know, you could have ended up going, well, on Wednesday, uh, did the laundry. And one of the one of one of the shirts couldn't get rid of the stain. It was most distressing. Thursday. <laughs> and it could have gone that way, but you don't. But you do focus on the mundane, yet you make it interesting. Tell us how did this come about and why? Why have you gone this route?
1: Yeah, it's it's something I've always been fascinated with. In fact, my first game on Steam um was very much a harvest moon inspired farming stim. And much for the same reasons, I had always been kind of interested in these more mundane stories and applying what's fun about games, which in my opinion, isn't, you know, always a lot of action isn't always, uh, you know, shooting or, or Twitch gameplay, it's more like game mechanics and concepts applied to themes that are much more ordinary or relatable. Um, so yeah, and, and I think I'm, I'm part of a, of a wave of indie developers that are kind of exploring those same things, you know, like unpacking last year was, it's a game about unpacking boxes and it, you know, charmed the entire world. It's, it's amazing that more and more people are, um, interested in these, but, uh, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I just think I, it came from loving traditional, more traditional games first. I grew up loving games and kind of feeling like I was running out of new experiences, even though, you know, of course I wasn't, there's a million games out there. Um, but just wanting to, to shift that around and say, well, why not? Like, why do we not focus on these, you know, side characters? Why do we not like turn the camera to look at somebody um, because they, in real life, everyone has their own unique and interesting story. So, you know, why wouldn't that or couldn't that be the case in games too? Um, To a farmer, farming is the most interesting thing in the world. Like you talk to anyone who's really into gardening and, you know, I could listen to them hours and, and hear, you know, listen to how passionate somebody is about gardening because there's just so much to it. There's so many layers to all these things that on the surface seem mundane to us, but um, yeah, um, so yeah, I, it yeah, it was yeah. it was a, a challenge I wanted to to undertake, and um, mm. yeah, I'm glad to hear that it it worked for you, and it wasn't just watching paint dry.
0: No, no, like I said, it could have easily gone that way, you know, removing stains from shirts, which is probably a mini game in of itself. That may be a DLC <laughs> pack later on. I don't mind, but um, anyway, I, 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 I do like the idea of like seemingly mundane like stamp collecting. That's just no. And yet when you encounter someone who's <laughs> enthused by this topic, you actually become interested. Not to do said stamp collecting.
1: Yeah. But just, but just to... And, and that's the yeah. thing about... That's what's great about games is you're really just dipping your toes into this life of this other person. You're not yeah, yeah. being an innkeeper for 50 years. You're no, just no. playing a, a game for a few hours about an innkeeper. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So the interactions then between characters in a story beside they they are quite wonderful and they're, they're, there's a lot of feels like they actually exist they're not two dimensional they do have flaws which is important as well as you know something and indeed you can manipulate yourself and turn uh, your own the, the main protagonist into something that maybe something you want to to be and um, I've written here that they you know these interactions leave an indelible mark between these people as time goes on how have you found developing these basically these these branching narratives as, they, as the as whatever the the player even from very very young age they say and do something that turns out to be quite uh, quite profound later on in life 20 30 years after it occurred not realizing that that single decision she made then set a course for her the rest of her life um how have you found creating that making sure that it doesn't implode or explode into something you couldn't really manage
1: yeah it it was quite challenging and at first i had the full um conspiracy theory scene of like the the corkboard with all the different you know <laughs> yeah. notes on it and like the strings going from this choice to this consequence to this character how is yeah, this every yeah. how is it going to play out like five chapters later um but what i really challenged myself to do was more follow like start with the characters characters are are paramount and if they are real people then just follow their natural choices where those would lead um so I developed chapter one very purposefully. Developed chapter one, and then chapter two, and then chapter three, and then chapter four. I, I didn't really plan much more besides the overall like structure of the story, um, purposefully because it allowed me to explore, you know, the possibilities of of what might happen if somebody were to make this choice. Um, there's this really uh, there's this talk by my favorite fantasy author, Robin Hobb. Um, from many years ago now, but she was uh, at a convention with George R.R. R. Martin um, and gave this talk to authors who are often asked why they killed a certain character, like, why, like how could you kill off this beloved character, right? And her answer has always stuck with me. She said, I didn't. She had a level of separation between her as the storyteller and the character themselves that in her mind, this character had made a choice where the natural consequence of that choice would be them dying or, you know, the natural consequence of these other kind of parts of the world shifting around would she had these, like this moment of realization that's like, Oh, that's where that would naturally lead. Right. So um trying to, to separate myself from lyric and separate myself from the other characters in the game. And just what would she do and what would happen as a result of that? Instead of, you know, looking at it more broadly and mm. saying like, laying it all out ahead of time. So it certainly was challenging. And I certainly understand why not every developer could or, or would want to do that. Like, you know, I'm very lucky as a as a solo dev, I don't really have any um, constraints besides the ones I put on myself, right? So uh, it's probably not the smartest choice when it comes to properly scoping a game or, or anything like that. But I think what it ended up Uh, leading to was a a cast of characters that is much more relatable and and um, emotional moments that hit a lot harder because you can connect with these people um so yeah it was a very natural and and fluid kind of progression of the storytelling rather than uh trying to work out every little structural detail ahead of time
0: so emergent storytelling really Uh, sure yeah i guess you could call it that yeah yeah and um it's akin to because i run a lot of tabletop RPGs and there's a common phrase amongst GMs Stoke DMs and uh, basically it says why you know a player would say why are you trying to kill me and you go I'm not trying to kill you the troll is (laughs) 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 I'm just controlling the troll you're the one that angered it you're the one that attacked it I'm not doing anything I'm just rolling dice I'm just using the tactics that it would employ because it's a troll yeah, but, and and what knows?
1: that inevitably leads to, you know, in in tabletop games, is moments that are completely unexpected and moments yeah. that are better for it, right? You yeah. can't. I I often find, you know, like watching a a movie or something like. If you know exactly what's going to happen, like at, by the end of the movie, like you could still enjoy it just on a, you know, it's it's a satisfying conclusion. It follows the same narrative arc that the classic hero's journey does. Mm. Um, but those kinds of experiences don't tend to stick with me as much as the ones that can really surprise me and with their yeah, twists yeah. and turns. And yeah. yeah, tabletop games definitely fit in that category as well. Do.
0: I want to talk about the world now of uh, a story beside without spoiling it because unlike our sister show Kane and Rince we don't do spoilers here we don't do a lot of content here we talk about more sort of abstract concept of design however I'm going to touch around this I'm going to skirt around this very carefully but I want to talk about the village of Pireside which is a great name it reminds me of Firewatch it's got a lot of <laughs> warm fuzzy feelings when I hear the name Firewatch but um Pireside is a lovely beautiful view and it genuinely is and um i haven't really sort of said this in any way and I apologize for that listener, but the story beside is a beautiful game uh, the the lighting and the the shimmering and the imagery and the the the, 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 you know, the dippling effect of, of the graphics is most impressive it really is and I can't congratulate you enough on on that but um I just felt very early on that the relationship between Pyrside and the rest of the world felt like two NPCs interacting with one another. Things would occur in the greater world that Pyrside would be affected by. Initially without any control to itself, he says delicately. And... I find this fascinating that you seem to have created this interrelationship between these two parts of the the environment that the story beside is set in, and I just want to ask, how did this come about? Yeah, um
1: after the character's fireside itself as as the village was the most important thing for me to kind of get right um it is clearly something that is very important to lyric so because you're playing as lyric it becomes kind of the most important thing in the world to the player too so that's where all of your focus is that's where um, all of the people you care about live and um, everything important that ever happens to her is right there and i think that's much more relatable right than these like um the old old school rpgs where you would go from town to town and spend a few minutes in each one and just like trek across the world it's like most of us don't live our lives that way right so um creating a, a space that is is very familiar sights and sounds and very dear to us um that's side. but at the same time it is important to recognize that it is just one small piece of a much bigger broader world and um I guess, uh, giving hints of that, like little, you know, notes and and newsletters and like word from the outside world, like there is a world that exists outside of this village. Um, It's just not really that important. And again, I think that's just way more similar to how most of us live our lives, like in these very small, uh, like kind of micro level communities, right, with our friends and our families and our loved ones. And just kind of like, reach out like just like dip our toes a little bit out in the broader world sometimes and um recognizing that every other village in the world has in story just as important to those characters as Pireside and its story is to lyric i think is kind of the i mean one of the main points or, or themes i wanted to get across with this game is like you could pick any village anywhere in this world and there would be just as many fascinating stories there Yep. um
0: yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. And I just really, it's fascinating to have a village take on, you know, take on a character in and of itself, be part of that. Um, and that's not, it's very abstract and odd to think of it that way, but that's the only way I can describe it is they are interactions that are fleeting. But when they do happen, they are usually profound. There's that P word again that I've said many times and talking about a story beside, there's a reason for that. Um so a last question I think we've covered this before but I really want to look at it in detail because I feel that taking the story of those affected by the actions of great heroes or rulers or not so great rulers and armies and great you know conflicts going on the these villagers have no idea what's going on and how the adventures the adventures to swan in <laughs> grab stuff don't really interact with many people and then just swan off again you know they just they they they. oh look people will be in attack quick let's just kill stuff like well, do, do i get paid for this <laughs> What's my reward for that oh xp oh, okay That's joke, <laughs> um but I feel like you're filling in the gaps of JRPGs. Okay, I'm not... It's definitely JRPG. I'm not going to cite CRPGs because they have a different dynamic to them. And listeners, if you're not familiar with the differences, I do recommend you look up. They are they are two very definite different tranches, although in recent years, they've become a little bit more intermingled. Um, if you look at Final Fantasy XV, it's a good example of that. But... Um, yeah, RPGs as things like The Witcher Three and you know, um, or Divinity Two and stuff like that. they they you know, those are like computer RPGs as they're historically known. JRPGs obviously the turn based sort of party, and you've definitely lent into that world where you have little villages and you walk in and you get like I said. But was this always the intention for you to fill those gaps then, fill those stories? And I just want you to expand on how you, how rich that vein has been for you
1: yeah yeah that's a really kind of pleasant way to and concise way to put that filling in the gaps um i i grew up loving jrpgs but eventually kind of got frustrated with how hard it's hard to share your love of jrpgs with somebody who is not familiar with them or Mm. you know doesn't they just from the outside final fantasy or something like that looks like the most convoluted confusing like weird <laughs> like um yeah when you, it's not it's not something i can easily explain to a to a no. parent or a or a friend who doesn't play games yeah. um so i think i think that's part of what i realized was like trying to get friends or or other people to to care about this thing that was like so integral to, to my life. And so, you know, it's like I was going to school for, for game design. Like this is guys, like this is so important. This is such good, cool, worthwhile. Like these are worthwhile stories being told but I was realizing just how much we take for granted as people who grew up with games, who are, you know, who understand the full lexicon of it, who understand like all the tropes and, and have these shorthands to talk with each other about, um, you know, why we love them Uh, and, and how just like rock solid it is from the other side, like how just impenetrable this genre is (laughs) from the outside. So, um, you know, a story beside is something I'm very proud that like I could, have my mom play, and she would. There would be nothing that really confused her about it because these are just real people. It's just the world happens to be a world where there are, you know, dragons and, and fantasy creatures roaming mm. out in the, in the skies. And but, demented
0: um, squirrels. That's really in the <laughs> game everyone.
1: So don't worry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think that's what it was. It was. It was a genuine, like, deep eternal love for jrpgs but a an understanding that they are not that they are near uh, inscrutable for um yeah. most people who, who don't uh who aren't already I mean, in that world
0: entire worlds are destroyed in chrono trigger just saying right like, oh really <laughs> is this the bad timeline well we can fix that i know we can <laughs> in the title <laughs> yeah and that's one of the more streamlined stories in the world of, of jrpgs so yeah. yeah so story beside which is developed wonderfully by the way by wayward prophet uh, you know where it's come? because david listens to the show i know shocking but he knows what i'm gonna ask now where's the name come from
1: yeah it's a, i think it's a fairly obvious one for this yeah. um this is essentially a story beside all the other stories that you've been told
0: in these worlds. It's a story beside the, the main story of the game. So. I was true, but I was referring to... That's great, but I was actually referring to the name of your company oh
1: wayward Profit. okay okay uh
0: yeah it's it's funny it sounds
1: a little more pretentious than i meant it to sound because when i originally made the the name of the studio i was kind of like collaborating with some other people mm-hmm. so it was like you know the, a broader idea uh but it has kind of gone on to just be my indie studio you know my banner that i make all my games under so it's like i don't i don't see myself as a profit in any way no. but it is just a bigger <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but the idea is just to kind of see see the future, see the future, um, especially like the technology driven future, right? Um, mm. The the kind of cold and, and stark future, sci-fi future where computers and, and video games might lead us, but to, but to turn away from that future and to try and find something more worthwhile and something with more heart. So. Yeah, it's like it's seeing seeing that kind of cold future and, and denying it. So that's why the profit is wayward. Nice, <laughs>
0: nice. And so yeah, story beside, what's it
1: available on? Uh currently on PC, um on Steam. Right. It is uh um it's been in early access for a while, uh now out in full this month, but it is going to be something I kind of focus on after the the like 1.0 launch of the game is, mm. is bringing it to hopefully other platforms and um and fronts. steam deck by the way so yeah, it works on yeah that. yeah <laughs> yeah i'm happy to hear that i haven't had a chance to try it yeah, myself, yeah. So, so there you go it really, it, uh, really
0: pops from the screen it's got to be said so uh, works a treat but uh yeah dave it's been wonderful having you on the show it really has thank you so much yeah i really appreciate it has been really illuminating and uh well done with the uh, story beside it's a uh, innovative way of looking at the realm of, uh, RPGs, which have been the way for 40 years now. So it's good to know that really what is going on with the innkeeper other than with how to come say no so much stuff. Why does everyone keep on telling them these rumors? Oh, that's why. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah,
1: yeah, I, I will say too, just as, as a final note, I mean, yeah, this yeah. game has, has been, it's been a struggle to develop in, in many ways. It's taken a lot longer than I initially kind of envisioned, um, you know, I I had some health struggles along the way. I had some, you know, we had a global pandemic yeah, that is did, still yeah. not
0: quite, <laughs> no, not it's still quite not over with, yeah.
1: Right. Um, so to to kind of uh, make something that had this much creative energy and this much um just emotion behind it, like it, there's so much of myself in this world in these characters, uh, was it it was a huge outlet for me over some of the most difficult times in my life. So um yeah, I, I'm quite proud to to have it out there and, and it definitely has a um I don't know, it feels it feels more personal than anything else I've ever made before. So yeah. um I'm really yeah, really happy to hear that that you enjoyed it
0: and hope oh, yeah. more people will get the chance to soon. It's extraordinary experience. So yeah, you're more than welcome to come back to chat about whatever next you're you're cooking up as uh, uh, a story besides it becomes out and finished and you will probably be working on something next but uh, we'll be here we've been in nine years now I'm sure we'll be here for a little bit longer yeah
1: here's to another
0: nine yeah <laughs> in the meantime thank you very much thank you you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast part of the Cane and Rinse collective support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane Rinse for early extended and exclusive podcasts find us on Twitter Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, Kanarince.com. Thank you.